Welcome to a newish episode of Living an Alter Life. So I promised you something a little bit different. I'm going to start telling you ultra stories from the back of the pack. See, the front of the pack, they have stories, but I don't know what they are because I've never been in the front of the pack. But I'm telling you what, I've always said it, the back of the pack runners have the most fun because there's no pressure on us to impress a sponsor, to impress a shoe deal, to impress a energy drink that's gonna support us financially. We're actually running these crazy races because we're crazy and we pay for the fact that we run them. So I'm gonna tell you some ultra stories from the back of the pack. We're gonna go all the way back to 2015 and Mike's very first ultra race. I had been living in Boulder, Colorado and running the trails around Boulder, Colorado from 2012 until 2015. And because I could not find a job in Sheridan, Wyoming, because there's just not a huge need for salespeople in a little bitty town of 25,000 people. So I couldn't find a job. So the closest job I could find was six hours away in Boulder, Colorado is a national sales job and traveled all over the country, having a blast and running everywhere. But I learned to run trails in Boulder, Colorado. So most of you will know the story that my very first ultra run was on July 3rd of 2014 on my 50th birthday. I went and decided I was going to run 50 miles. So I trained for it beginning in January. My beautiful forever girlfriend helped me out. We had a great time. That 50 mile run was my first one. I did run a 50K after that up in Montana a little bit. I don't even know what the name of the race was. It was uh, scary. We ran um, a trail that I didn't like. But my very first race that I actually signed up for and paid for was the Bighorn Mountain Wild and Scenic Run. And I signed up for the 52-miler. I knew that I had this thing licked. I was in great shape. I'd been running miles. Now, I did a kind of a strange thing. I made a career move. I finally found a job in Sheridan, Wyoming. And so I uprooted my life and moved to Sheridan so I could actually live with my forever girlfriend in Sheridan, Wyoming, and began a very stressful job in April of 2015. And the Bighorn race is in June of that year. I didn't really have a whole lot of time to get up on the trails of the Bighorns. I hadn't really done a lot of running. I'd done some little bitty running in this canyon called Tongue River Canyon, kind of a different trail. Because you got a picture, so Boulder, Colorado has lots of trails. I mean, oodles and gobs of trails around it. The only challenge is the trails around Boulder, Colorado are tromped on by tens of thousands of runners every day. And so the trails around Boulder, Colorado are like a sidewalk, just dirt. There's not a lot of rocks. There's not a lot of roots. There's not a lot of technical parts of it until you get up to the top of the peaks. 90% of the trails you run around Boulder, Colorado are like a superhighway. Perfect for all you fast runners out there. You'll feel good there, even though it is up at, you know, a mile high. That's where I had done all my training. The Bighorn race is not on those type of trails. So here I am at the very start of 
the Bighorn race, and here's where the story begins. We get bussed up to the start of this race. You got to go catch the bus at three in the morning to be to the start at this place called Jaws Trailhead. We're riding the bus up, and we just climbed and climbed and climbed. I remember looking over the side, out the window of the bus at one point, and down in this valley, there were a bunch of moose running through the valley. And I was like, wow, I've never seen a moose that close up. I hope that I don't see a moose out on the trails when I get up there. The further we went, all of a sudden, now we're driving along this highway, and there had been like a, it almost looked like a tunnel. So the snow was as high as the bus. So when you're looking out the bus window, all you're seeing is snow as high as the bus, as far as you can see. We make this turn onto this dirt road that had been plowed, sort of, and make our way to the Jaws Trailhead start. We hop off the bus. I use the restroom. Hop in line for the start. It is freezing cold. I'll bet you if it was 20 degrees, that may be warmer than it really was. Right as the race director got done, kind of talking about the race and everything, and I'm, you know, kind of lined up. I didn't know anything about this. I literally had the same shoes that I used running roads on for the start of this race. As we started, the race director finished, blew the horn. We blow out out of the out of the starting chute. We got, go on this road, and I'm thinking, okay, this isn't bad. Just as we hop off of the road onto this single track trail, the skies open up, and we are being pelted with the coldest rain you have ever felt in your life. To top it off. We're running in probably a three to four inches of wet, wet snow with running water underneath of it. So if you can picture, you're you're going, you're hitting, you're, you're planting your foot, and you're going squish, and your whole bottom part of your leg is freezing. Now the rain decides that rain wasn't good enough, so it turned to this icy sleet. So for six miles. I'm sliding. I am covered with mud. I probably look like I took a bath in it. Until, of course, we had to cross this very fast-running creek, which was only it's probably only about you know four foot wide, and it was probably only about you know two and a half foot deep. But we had to cross it on this log. So no rope, just this log that went across the creek. So you guys can picture this. I hop up on the raw on the log with my wet road running shoes. And what do I immediately do? I slip off the log. I fall into the water. And now I am choking, choking wet and miserable. Climb up out of it, plod on, slipping and sliding down the mountain because from Jaws Trailhead all the way to Spring Marsh is a descent. It was not fun and I was not having fun. From Jaws Trailhead to Spring Marsh is eight miles. It took me three hours to traverse eight miles. That's like barely moving. I'm thinking, I got five hours to do this. I've got two more hours to get another eight and a half miles down to 
the next aid station at Sally's Footbridge. I'm thinking there is no way in hell if it's like this. So you leave Spring Marsh dead set on getting to Sally's Footbridge. I pull into Sally's Footbridge with five minutes till cutoff. Soaking wet, my shoes are soaked. I had a pair of shoes and socks and a different t-shirt, genius that I am, in my bag at Sally's Footbridge. I got somebody to just throw me my shoes and a pair of socks and I took my shoes and socks off that I had and I walked barefoot across the bridge because I had to get out of the aid station, sat on the, on the side of the trail of this next section and changed my shoes and socks, changed my shirt, threw the old shirt back in my pack, had enough food, had enough sense to grab food and grab some more water there. And all of a sudden, this next section hit me. There's a reason that the locals call this next section the wall of death. You literally climb nearly 3,000 feet in three miles. It would be one thing if you're just climbing, like doing switchbacks up and forth. But oh, no, 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 no. There's no switchbacks back and forth. So I know I'm in the tail because I knew I was one of the last runners to make the cutoff of Sally's Footbridge. So I know there's nobody behind me. I am not catching up to anybody. And I am going up this river of mud to what's called Bear Camp. I finally make it to Bear Camp, the raging 3.5 miles that it is from Sally's to Bear Camp. Took me an hour and almost, I think it was almost an hour and a half. I get there, I take a little break, you know, sit down, kind of try and scrape some of the mud off my road shoes once again, and I take off running. So the next section's actually kind of nice. You're kind of bobbing up and down. You never really gain. There's no big climbs, no big descents. It's just up and down through what I call the haunted forest. Thank God they had markers because otherwise I've gotten lost in there trying to run it zillions of times. So here I am in the race and I'm just running along and I finally come out to this big water tank that's just out in this field. There's spring water that comes out of it and you can actually fill your canteen or your water, whatever you're using for hydration, you can fill it from this spring and it's just the, it's awesome water. Well, about that time, all of a sudden, I hear this person coming up behind me and this guy goes, oh my God, wow, I am so relieved that I'm not the last one on the trail. You're last and he goes by me. And I'm like, oh shit, I'm last. And so now you've got this downhill descent going into what's called cow camp or bacon aid station, as we know, because they have bacon at this aid station. Not for us back at the pack runners. They had already run out by the time I got there. I am running down this hill. I am giving this thing everything I can. And all of a sudden, I hit a root or a rock or something with my left foot. My right foot is in the air trying to find the ground to strike. And now all of a sudden I look like Superman and I am flying hands out in front of me down this path, looking at where I'm going to land and going, this is going to hurt. When I finally landed, I hit, I bounced, I hit, and my head went crunch on a rock. Now I'm dealing with the, whoo, I'm not seeing very well, as well as the, oh crap, I have got to go because I've got to make it to Dry Fork. And I had an hour and 15 minutes to get to Dry Fork. 
I didn't stop for anything because my head was bleeding a little bit from the rock. I was kind of seeing a little bit double. I probably needed to stop because I was almost out of water. But I just knew that if I stopped, they were going to make me tend to the little cut on my head. And I knew I was going to deal with that. That's why they make duct tape and toilet paper. So I stuck toilet paper on my head and taped it down with duct tape. And kept on trying to run as best as you can. Now, this section from, from cow camp to dry fork is about as dry and dusty as you're ever going to be. You are constantly out in the open, and by this time of the day, the sun is burning brightly, and it is hot as blue blazes. So remember, it was 20 degrees at the start with snow and sleet and rain, and it just, yuck. Well, now you're in dry, dusty land where you're begging for there to be some type of water crossing to cool your feet off because your feet are just frying. And I got an hour and 15 minutes. I'm telling you, Dry Fork is the most evil aid station the ultra running community has ever created because you can start to see the tents at Dry Fork about four miles away. And it might as well be 100 miles away because it never gets closer. I swear, as I was running, I kept thinking, they're moving the damn aid station. That's not even nice because it's getting further away. I'm not getting closer. It's getting further away. And I am whining like the biggest baby you've ever seen. And the time is going down. Well, you're kind of running down this road, and all of a sudden, one of the steepest hills facing you to get into this aid station you've ever seen. I hit that hill, and I literally had 10 minutes to get up that hill. And I'm thinking, holy crap, how am I going to do this? So I gave it my best effort that I could and I hit the dry fork line five minutes late. And there's the race director, one of the most wonderful people you'd ever have the pleasure to meet, except that moment. And she looked at me and she said, I am so sorry, Mike. You're five minutes late. We're going to have to pull you. The worst feeling I have ever felt came over me because I'm covered in mud, just had my bib pulled, been told I can't continue in the race. I don't know what I was thinking of, but I didn't know how I was going to get down to the finish line because there's no cell service. I didn't have my phone on me anyway. I was like, I don't even know how to contact my wife to let her know that I had to drop a drive for. So I just started walking down the road and thinking, well, if I can get to Burgess Junction, not realizing Burgess Junction was about 14 miles away from where I was. Maybe I can hitchhike on the highway and catch a ride down the mountain. <laughs> so here I am, doofus brain, walking down the road, a little bit of sweat running out of my eyes because I've just gotten a did not finish. And a truck pulls up and it's like, where, where are you going? And I was like, well, I got to make it down to Scott Park down in Dayton. And he was, he's like, Jump in the back, man. I'll give you a ride down. So I rode in the back of the pickup down to Scott Park. Found my wife finally. <laughs> Came in from the wrong area. She was looking towards the finish line. Silly creature. And um, I you know, walked up behind her, said, hey, I'm here. And uh, 
That was my very first did not finish. It was a miserable feeling. But I learned a lot from it. I learned that road shoes don't fly on the Bighorn Trails. I learned that you better have some strong ankles because you're going to twist your ankles a lot running through the Bighorn mud. And you know what else I learned? I learned that some of the kindest people are in the back of the pack. Every single one of those people is suffering. They're doing this because they love it. They know they're not going to win any awards. They know that sometimes they stand a great chance of not finishing. I enjoy being a back-of-the-pack runner. I scrape cutoff times every time that I run, and I don't care because I love to run. So that's one of the ultra stories from the back of the pack, part of living an ultra life. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.